0: Hello and welcome to Mormon Stories Podcast. This is John Delin. I'm very excited to have you with us today. Hope you're all doing well. As you may know, uh, Mormon Stories Podcast is doing quite well. We're up to around 300-350 uh, listeners. Uh, the blog site, uh, mormonstories.org, has gotten a fair amount of um, discussion and um, postings over the past little while, so that's exciting as well. Uh, We sure do appreciate all the email we've received. I probably get an email a week, probably two or three emails a week now with people from all over the world saying how grateful they are um, for some of the things that they've heard. Uh, We recently created a Frapper map where some of our listeners have been able to post their locations. Uh, I I encourage you to go up to our Frapper map and please uh, um, post yourself there so that we can uh, find out where you are and where you're listening from. Um, and most importantly, please check us out at MormonStories.org, and um, give us your comments, your feedback, your thoughts, and your posts. We sure love having that feedback; it drives us to want to continue uh, doing this podcast. Well, um, for those of you who have listened to past programs, you know that we've tried to interview uh, different types of uh, LDS people. Uh, we interviewed an ex-Mormon, um, uh, you know, an anti-Mormon to begin with, Hiram. Uh, we've interviewed an apologist and um, uh, got some some in depth perspective on what it means to be an LDS apologist today, and that was John Lynch. Today, we have a very exciting uh, podcast. For those of you who are part of the Blogger Knackle or the LDS blog arena, you'll know these next two guests. Uh, their handles um, in the Blogger Knackle are Roasted Tomatoes and Serenity Valley. They uh, run a blog called Latter-day Saint Liberation Front. Uh, many of you know it as LDSLF. But uh, I've known them for a, a, a month or two now. I've enjoyed my interactions with them. Uh, but a while ago, they contacted me, and and we sort of knew pretty quickly that it made sense for us to do a podcast because they had some very interesting Very compelling stories to tell. And I'm not going to give those stories away uh, other than to introduce uh, Serenity Valley and Roasted Tomatoes to our podcast. Welcome, guys.
1: Thank you. Thanks for
0: having us. It's my pleasure. And uh, I I should mention that you guys are in the Bay Area. Um, I won't mention anything more. And I should tell our listeners that we talked about whether it made sense or not to reveal identities. And in this case, I think we decided that it made sense to keep your handles the, uh, of from which you're known in the blogger knackle. So if it's okay, I'll uh, refer to Serenity as Serenity and to Roasted Tomatoes as RT because I can't somehow stomach <laughs> calling you roasted throughout this interview. Is that okay? <laughs> no, that would be extremely bizarre. RT it is. Okay. So um, without any further ado... I think it would make sense to begin with RT telling us a bit about his story as a member of the LDS Church up through his mission, and then and, um, maybe a little bit thereafter, and then we will proceed to Serenity's early story as well.
2: All right. Well, my story started out, as most people in the churches do, I was born to goodly parents, um, parents within the church, um, grew up, attended primary, went to seminary, <laughs> um, you know, and had a pretty standard, straightforward experience. I remember actually, you know, the first time I had something that I would have called a testimony of my own, it was um, when Ezra Taft Benson gave his Flood the Earth with the Book of Mormon speech, and um, it struck some sort of chord with me, and I felt, you know, really good about it, and so sort of from that point on, I, I had a testimony of the Book of Mormon. Um, up until about, well, partway through high school, and you know, then had a typical kind of thing, I think, you know, typical, what's typical? A thing that a lot of people have, where I started having some doubts, had some, you know, questions about whether, whether really there was, you know, really this good God sitting up there watching everybody, you know, and all these people starving in the world, and, um. It was kind of hard for me to put it together have come to find out that this is actually the problem of theodicy, right? The problem that God is all-powerful and, you know, capable of doing anything He wants and yet He allows there to be suffering in the world and still we're supposed to think of Him as good. So, you know, it's something that a lot of people have thought about and is a difficult problem to resolve. I ran into it in high school and um, spent a couple of years thinking about myself as, you know, kind of being a bit of an atheist. Um, at that point, as an atheist, I went to BYU, <laughs> <laughs> and that was um, possibly not the optimum solution <laughs> for me because, in <laughs> addition to um, having these questions about whether there was, was you know, in fact, a god, I was also, and still continue to be, um, towards the left side of the political spectrum, which makes me not fit in too well in BYU culture.
0: Right. Was there so a, was um, there an honors program? There were. The there
2: there was an honors program. I considered doing it um, and actually did spend, I think, the first year associated with it. So I, I, I did a, um, goodness, they have a program where you, th- th- there was some sort of contest that's kind of Jeopardy with buzzers. Alone, college and Bowl. I did that. College and did some Bowl. some of the books, readings, and stuff. College Bowl, that's it. That was fun, actually. You did College Bowl? I um, didn't know that. <laughs> sure. My freshman year, <laughs> I did. Only my freshman wow. year. It was really fun, um, but you know, along with, along with some of the better things like that, th- I, for instance, my honors religion class my first semester, about halfway through, the um, professor got sick of talking about the Book of Mormon, I guess, because he started talking about Ezra Taft Benson's political talks from the 60s and explaining to the rest of us that, you know, we needed to believe this or we didn't belong in Mormonism, at BYU, whatever. And so I listened to this and I say, hmm, maybe I don't belong. Uh, it was it was kind of an odd and alienating situation. So after after about a year and a half of of doing this, it, I turned 19, and it's time for me to go on my mission. So I'm sitting here thinking, well, you know, I am an atheist, so that's a strike against. But if I don't go on a mission, I'll break my parents' heart. So maybe maybe the mission's a good idea. Um, so I went on a mission. <laughs> told everybody, yeah, okay, I know it's true, whatever, and went on a mission and. Um, the most amazing thing happened when I went on my mission, which was that um, my mission president taught me how the gospel worked with Christ, you know, actually atoning for our sins and, and making it, making, you know, up for the things we do wrong. And it really, really hit me. It really struck me as something that seemed to be true in, you know, in a in a much more profound way than than the Benson talk, you know, a decade earlier had done and i i just totally became converted to christianity and um came back from that really being you know a believer the the, the way that i found christ was was through my mission presidents explaining to me about the book of mormon now there there are some other parts of the story on my mission that that um i actually don't want to get into right now that that um were a little bit more difficult but but for me, that was the, that was the key thing from my mission was was sort of finding Christ and doing it through through reading these these christ oriented texts in the Book of Mormon. And so you know, I come back from my mission, and this is this is really kind of the place I was at when I met serenity. okay, so um,
0: so you sort of consider yourself an atheist before your mission. I just have to ask you did I mean, was it like a conscious lie that you just said, I'm going to tell everyone I know the church is true and I'm not and just lie about it? Or did you sort of use the justification, which is, uh, you know, I've been told that if I say it, I'll believe it. So this is just an act of faith where I'm going to say that I, that I know or believe, even though I may not, and hope that I get the answer. Or was it just sort of a calloused, um, you know, cynical sort of, I'm going to lie?
2: <laughs> you know i could i could give you an answer to that but i wouldn't be sure i was telling you the truth i i don't really know what i thought i i know that i i i felt you know there's the pascal's wager sort of thing that um i didn't think there was a god but i wasn't sure and you know if i'm not sure maybe it's best to just act as if um but I, I was a pretty confused person, I, you know, I'm a 19-year-old. I wasn't, you know, terribly happy with my life. I I'm, I, I have no idea what I thought. Huh. That's fair. And and when you talk
0: about um, coming to Christ uh, and getting a testimony of Christianity, was that in sort of a, a, a totality in that you viewed Christianity as the one and only path to God? And that the other half or two thirds of the world that don't happen to be Christian were just sort of out of luck.
2: <laughs> Actually, when I say that, you know, I mean I I was converted to Christianity, but I was also very much converted to, you know, Latter day Saint Mormon Christianity. So if if we're going to be all exclusivistic, I was probably, you know, in a situation of condemning not just half or two thirds, but Ah, uh, billions of people no but there's there is the there is the nice idea of of temple work and redemption for the dead, so it wouldn't have gone that far but no th- that that made missionary work seem incredibly urgent for the last two thirds of my mission. This idea that people really needed this message that we had right okay well that's fair that's
0: a good intro now let's move to serenity. catch us up on uh, your early years
1: ha. <laughs> That's complicated. (laughs) I was born in Salt Lake City, and my family is kind of a complicated situation because my mother was actually severely terminally ill for about 32 years. And so my brother and I were both adopted, which was a difficult thing in some ways because while my parents did everything they could to make us feel very connected to the family, at some level we were always the special children in the family. My cousins, my aunts, my uncles all treated us as not as people who didn't belong, but as the special ones, the the ones that it was the process was different. And sort of grafted it, grafted
0: the, onto the family.
1: Mhm. You know, there there were, there always seemed to be concern that we would feel anxiety, which when we were alone with our parents we didn't we didn't really have that because they didn't act that way, but You know, and the same thing was true in my neighborhood in Mary Ward. Everyone wanted us to know how welcome we were, and it was even more complicated when we went to church because while my mother's family was LDS, they managed to spend most of their time with us without really thinking about the fact that my father was not, or at least he wasn't active in the church. My parents hadn't been married in the temple, and there was very little chance that they ever would while they were both or really while either of them was alive.
0: Did you ever get a chance to talk to your dad about... um was your dad born in the church
1: yeah actually i found out about a year ago that he holds the ironic priesthood which we had we didn't know my mother thought that he wasn't even a member
0: and have, you, have, you, ever, have you ever found out why what made him fall away or lose interest yeah. or whatever
1: yeah i thought when i was a kid that it was because of a girl he dated in high school whose father hadn't liked him but he told me about a year and a half ago that what actually happened was that he went to primary every week that his parents let him when he was a little boy, and when he was twelve years old, they ordained him, and he was happy about it. And he went to church whenever he could. But his fa- his father was, um, his father was an alcoholic, and sometimes he wasn't very nice. And occasionally, he would decide that the family had to go on a trip for the weekend. It was time to have fun, you know. Just, and that was it. There was no argument. And so my father would skip church every third or fourth week, and the bishop sat him down one day, about a month after he was 12 years old, and told him that priests didn't get to do that, and he could either come to church every week, or he could not come to church. And hmm. since his choice was pretty much be- between you know, being beaten and not going to church, his parents hadn't really raised him Mormon, so he just kind of didn't go anymore. Hmm. You know, it was Ogden in the 50s. <laughs> People well. were very black and white about these things. Wow. So... Yeah, and so I grew up in a neighborhood full of people who knew my parents and liked them but were uncomfortable with the fact that my mother was really the only woman in the ward who was married not just to a non-active man, but someone that everyone believed to be a non-member. And she was one of the only women in the ward who wasn't sealed to anyone. And I think she felt some really deep ambivalence about religion. And so even though she insisted that I go to church and that my brother go to church and she went went to mutual and dropped us off and made sure we were there every week you know, during our entire life together. She didn't feel comfortable going to the temple. Mm-hmm. She never was in doubt, even after eighty five. I never I never understood why, but as I've grown older and thought about it and talked to her friends and, and my aunts and my uncles and my father, I've realized that she wasn't sure she believed enough to go. Mm-hmm. So I was raised in a semi-active part member home is the best description. Right. And I, you know, I loved going to church when I was a kid because I I was in a family that was loving but a little bit troubled, and I think at some level I lacked a sense of identity, and going to church helped that. You know, I was a Mormon, and everyone in the ward was so concerned about my well-being because everyone knew my family was a little bit off in some ways, and because my, uh, my parents weren't sealed and because my dad wasn't active that they showered me with with all kinds of attention and praise and they tried their hardest to provide me with a good religious education my mom used to send me to family home evening at my friends houses a few times a month really and people would try to invite me into their homes and have me for family parties and that kind of thing and people would give me scriptures and religious gifts and it was it was nice it was a very loving way to grow up, but at the same time, there was no one really monitoring what I learned, you know, as far as religion went. <laughs> so uh, right. we had a we had a cadre of apocalypse buffs in the ward. Yeah. Uh, we actually had one man give a lesson in mutual when I was 12 years old. I'd just gone into mutual. It was a three-hour lecture on the apocalypse on the second coming, on everything bad that was going to happen before it, filled with lots of phrases like, well, no one really knows what's going to happen, but here's this very careful timeline I'm providing you with. (laughs) You know, and people will burn here, and this will happen. You know, it was very... I, I was raised in this very... Well, you know, in this slightly pathological ward, in a slightly pathological family, and I ended up with the idea that God loved me very, very much, but that if I didn't somehow do exactly whatever it was he wanted me to do, I would die a fiery death <laughs> and, and never get to go to the celestial kingdom. You yeah, know, I just have to, I,
0: this is your story, but I just have to jump in. This is really interesting to me because my my daughter came home from church just a few weeks back. She's, she was nine at the time. And she brought home a, a flyer that had like 12 little squares on it. And each square represented one of the nasty ways people will die during the second oh. coming. So they had flies, they had hail, they had fire, and all sorts of nastiness. And and she said that when, when the teacher told her this, she said, you know, this makes me really sad. I'm sad to hear you know, uh, w- what if I get burned or, or, or flies come and eat me up? And, and the teacher says, well, you don't have to worry about it because, you are you know, you're going to be righteous and you're Mormon. And she says, well, I have a lot of friends and family who aren't. What's going to happen to them? And the teacher just didn't know what to say. But it, it's interesting <laughs> because I I worried when she told me that how much we can terrorize little kids, and it sounds like that isn't uh, too far-fetched.
1: You know, I I spent... I was an insomniac as a child, and I used to sit up at nights, terrified that there'd be a nuclear bomb that would go off. Because that was one of the major themes in this neighborhood I grew up in. You know, the apocalypse was going to be ushered in by a very kind of a total nuclear war. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just terrified as a child. Hmm. I, you know, you, no seven-year-old should have to go through that. But, right. But you know, I did, and so I, I had this very confused picture of God, because He was this loving, loving Father who was going to kill us all (laughs) violently. (laughs) And people were very into the idea that the saints would suffer all kinds of tribulations. And so they used to talk a lot about how much we would suffer, you know, because we were righteous and we needed to be tested and so on and so forth. And there was a, a theme that came up a lot. They used to tell us that no matter what, we should never pray to die before the Second Coming. The reasoning was that if God wanted to test you that way, then you needed to be willing to be tested. <laughs> and I think that everyone thought the same thing that your, your daughter's teacher thought. You know, We were all going to realize that we were raised in these righteous homes. We were going to be righteous children and grow up to be righteous saints, and, and everything would be okay. And I don't think they thought about the effect this would have on a kid whose parents weren't sealed in the temple, whose father, frankly, hated religion and whose mother meant well but you know she she had the occasional wine cooler and she wouldn't go to the temple and it was really damaging <laughs> quite frankly everyone meant well but no one ever really talked about the good parts of the gospel unless it was something that was in the lesson manual for that particular week's Sunday school class right and so that's kind of what i grew up with and beyond that there was also a lot of pressure especially for me because of my situation because everyone wanted me to go the way they felt was the right way there's a lot of pressure to have a testimony to know the truth and it was kind of you know your old-school 1980s Utah version of the truth it was much more about knowing the church was true and knowing that the prophet was a prophet and knowing that the Book of Mormon was a historical document than it was anything else and not a problem with any of that of course there's not it's just that Those are all means to an end, and no one ever explained that to me. So I tried. I just tried so hard because I was afraid and because I wanted to fit in and because I knew these people loved me and I wanted to respond to them. I tried to have a testimony that the church was true. I tried to have a testimony that the Book of Mormon was a historical document. I tried to have a testimony that the prophet was a prophet. But those things didn't really have meaning to a child who didn't have... A basic faith in a loving God, and who didn't understand that all the things she did wrong were going to be paid for, you know, were going to be paid for by someone who wasn't her. <laughs> if that makes sense, right? The world was a frightening, frightening place. That's kind of what my my childhood and adolescence was like. And then when I was fifteen years old, my mother died, and I tried very hard to stay active when my mom died. But my father didn't really want me to go to church, and I've had, you know, I had so much built up negativity over the, because of these years and years and years of fear and discomfort with God. And then when I got to the age where girls start noticing that there are, are gender differences in the way kids are treated in the church, you know, when you really start to notice that kind of stuff, I didn't really have any reason to, um, to think anything but the worst about that. Because I knew that everyone at the church, in the church loved me, but when my mom died, people kind of got uncomfortable around me. You know, no one in a family ward is really that comfortable with the idea of someone sitting alone, and the way people often deal with it is to pretend that they're not sitting alone. Mm-hmm. You know, and I understand it. I find myself doing it now that I'm married. <laughs> you don't want to bring it up because you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. You don't, wanna, don't want to make someone feel self-conscious. But in the end, I just didn't have any reason to stay, even though I knew that everyone loved me.
0: hmm
1: And I felt a lot of anger toward the church because of the issues with gender, what I perceive as gender inequality, and my father's issues, which were many and varied. Uh (laughs) And so I left. When I got into college, a friend of mine talked her into, sorry, a friend of mine talked me into going to her student ward with her, and I went because I enjoyed spending time with my friend. I went frequently for, I don't know, a couple of years. And I tried again. I tried so hard. I thought maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I didn't do it right. So I tried as hard as I ever had to gain a testimony of the Book of Mormon, to gain a testimony that the church was true, to gain a testimony that the prophet was a prophet. And still, you know, I I never really thought about why those things were important. I did have these images of what Christ was. You know, had done for us, and I had these images of what God wanted for us, but they were all from non-Mormon children's books, the Madeline Langle books, you know, the Narnia books. And until I was in my early 20s, until I was in my last year of college, I never really thought about trying to integrate those with what I thought of as religion, which was going to church every Sunday and trying to convince yourself that you believed that whatever people were saying on the pulpit was true. You know, and I asked God, I asked over and over again, is this true, is this true, is this true, but I never got any response, you know. I, I tried really, really hard. I, I tried so hard. The thing is, trying doesn't actually work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't convince yourself of anything, and I don't think God wants people to lie to themselves. And that's what I was trying to do, because I didn't... I wasn't trying to have faith in what I was supposed to have faith in, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Sure.
1: Yeah, so then I... I had a very bad romantic situation where I had a friend from high school who we hadn't ever dated, but he went on a mission, and we wrote the whole time, and people kept telling me that he was my missionary, even though at the beginning when he left, I knew he wasn't. I knew we weren't romantically involved, but I think we both kind of began to feel like we must be over the two years that we wrote to each other, and then he came home, and we got engaged, (laughs) and I didn't want to marry him, but I didn't know how to say that, and then, you know, we, we started planning the wedding, and one day I realized he was gay.
0: Ooh, oops.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I said, are you gay? And he said, yeah, I'm gay. And I said, I'm not going to marry you. And he said, you know, I don't think it's a good idea either. <laughs> 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 and, you know, and the thing is, I ended up blaming the church for that, too, because he had been told by his mission president and then by his bishop that the way to stop being gay was to get married as soon as he got home Ugh. and I know the church does not give this advice anymore. I looked it up. They don't say this, but there are still a lot of people who think that they do because a long time ago people thought that that you could talk someone into falling in love with, a different per- with another person and it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> the church's current attitude, you know, is a lot more rational in my mind and I think it's a lot healthier for everyone involved. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so that was not a good thing. But I ended up blaming the church for that, too. So I blamed the church for my childhood. I blamed the church for my father's problems. I blamed the church for my fear of, of God and my distaste for religion. Eh, there's really no reason to stay. So once again, I left. <laughs> and that was just about when I was getting involved with my husband. <laughs> and he seemed a little bit concerned about my lack of religious sentiment and my utter abhorrence for the church. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going out and trying to destroy people's faith. I didn't have any interest in that, but I you know, I, I didn't want to go to church. I didn't like God. I thought I didn't believe in God, which was probably not true even to my, how much time I spent thinking about how much I didn't like God. Um, <laughs> right. You know, it, just, it was just kind of a mess. And that's when we got involved. And he had lots of fun cleaning up my emotional life. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: so w- when you guys met, were were you completely inactive?
1: Well, actually, I was going inactive when we got involved. We had known each other vaguely in high school, and then he came home from his mission, and we kept running into each other at parties. And he just kind of, by pure accident, he ended up being at my house one evening after everyone else had left a party. Right when I was about to have a breakdown because of my engagement to the gay guy, right, right. <laughs> and and he just sat me down and let me have the breakdown, and that was actually kind of how we got involved. Um, <laughs> we didn't start dating right away, but that was how we got involved emotionally. And so he yeah. heard a lot about my feelings about the church, and that's just about when I stopped going to church entirely. I just I couldn't sustain it anymore. I I had so many friends who wanted me to go, and I didn't want to disappoint them. And I was still deeply, deeply afraid of what would happen to me if I didn't go to church every week and pay my tithing and all the things that I'd been told I should do. But that's right when I stopped. We moved out to California. Well, we didn't move out together, obviously. He was, you know, he was all religious. <laughs> he was thinking about where to go to graduate school, and I wanted to move out to California because I didn't like Utah very much. And I kind of wanted to be on my own, away from my family. And a friend of mine was coming out to San Francisco for law school. So you know I knew someone who was coming out here. And roasted tomatoes got into a program out here. And we just decided to share a movie truck. And we moved out to Berkeley and lived a couple blocks away from each other for about a year. We got engaged on the drive out no, right before we got in the car, basically. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was wonderful. It was we had a lot of fun that first year planning our wedding back in Salt Lake <laughs> from from California.
0: So, was this and, a was this a yeah. temple wedding or a non-temple wedding?
1: Oh, heavens no. I I made a complete break with the church. I actually I decided that the only way I was going to get over the hostility I felt toward it was to put it behind me completely and I didn't want to feel the kind of anger I felt toward people that I did love, the people I knew loved me.
0: So, RT, as a return missionary, what were you doing entertaining thoughts of marrying um, someone whose <laughs> trajectory was outward, not upward, so to speak?
2: No, I mean, yeah. I, no, I I understand. Um, <laughs> well, look, there are two things about it. First of all is I was in love with, with, with Serenity, you know? I mean, I was totally in love with her. And second of all, it... <laughs> From 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 the very beginning, you know, when when I first got involved with her, you know, in, in my own defense as a sort of good Mormon credentials person, she she was going to church when we first started dating, um, and so so when I first got involved with her, that that sort of um, conventional conventional Mormon don't date outside the fold thing, I, I met the rule, I met the criterion, right, but. When when things when things went further and, and when it when it became clear that she was actually not interested in the church, I, I was in love with her and we were involved and and it just it just felt right to me to just continue with that. It it felt to me that that was the right thing to do. And you know I not to be all, all silly about this, but you know I did I prayed about it and it, and it felt right. I I um, thought about it. I talked with my bishop everything you know i did all of these things and and it just it just felt like the right thing to do actually my bishop was wonderful about it he he told me that um that no one on earth other than me had the right to have revelation about who i should marry and that you know if i felt like it was the right thing to do then then he felt it was the right thing to do too well, that's so that's what you know, and I'm not going to say I didn't have nightmares. I mean, good grief! For this whole year that we were engaged, I, every week or so, I would I would have these things where I'd wake up in the night in a cold sweat that, that I was going to die or she was going to die, and we were going to be apart forever, and all the melodrama, you know. But I I just stuck with it. And how was it received back home? <laughs> 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 Not oh. well. <laughs> Not <laughs> well.
1: My father was actually kind of concerned because you know he liked team. but team was Mormon. Was this a good idea? I I had just gotten out of the church, you know.
0: Right.
2: Mm-hmm. And my parents were very concerned. Oh, um, my oh. my parents actually tried to explain to me that they had had a revelation that this was not the right thing uh. and um that that's one of the places where where my bishop really just was very helpful my my dad actually called my bishop about a week before the wedding to see if the bishop could talk me out of it and um the bishop explained to my dad that um you know what we do in life is we, we, we do our best and we, we teach our kids, but when they become adults, we have to let them try to make the right decisions for themselves, and that that it just wasn't my dad's place to make this decision and yeah. that was that I, i'm just so glad he did that for us
1: yeah they they did come to the wedding, we were briefly concerned that jay 's family would not would not attend, and i don't think we don't think we really blamed them for that. It was very difficult for them, and we knew that um, but they eventually they they looked very sad but they came to the wedding and they paid for our honeymoon hmm. and um, I, they've done a very good job since then they by the time we actually got married they stopped trying to resolve my doubts and things and just kind of let me be and were very kind to me and loving and they were thrilled when we called them and and dropped the bomb that we were going to be sealed <laughs> in a few months but until we right. did that, they never well, that, mentioned
2: that's it. That's, that's, um, we're kind of jumping ahead of ourselves. Oh, sorry. Um, but <laughs> I I wanted to say, you know, I've, I've always, always wished that there had been a way through this that hadn't involved my family, you know, feeling the very real pain that they did feel. I mean, I've yeah. always felt sad about that. I I, I I not guilty because I think I did the right thing, but sad that they had to feel that way. I really wish that that had been different. Yeah,
0: I can, I can I can totally relate to that. Um, but
2: I I'm also thinking
0: about me putting myself in in your shoes, RT, and wondering how fundamentally guilty or scared I would feel for, in essence, trading your birthright. Um, you know, uh, you know the way you're raised. That's kind of how you might feel. And then I have a follow up, and that would be. Do you think that there was some hidden understanding that at some point serenity had to kind of come along because you're willing to make this jump, but it was sort of with an unspoken understanding that at some point it needed to be reconciled in the right direction was there any of that
2: going on no no i'm no i i it wasn't it wasn't really like that um you know the the idea here. It's sort of, it's sort of what Joseph Smith said about how, you know, when if God tells you to do something, even if He always said it's wrong before, as soon as He tells you to do it, it's right. I felt like for me, the the voice of God. This this sounds so pretentious, but you know, the voice of God in me said to me, "This is right." And so, you know, whatever whatever other commandments or rules or you know ideas are out there. They, they no longer apply because because that message to me says this is right. And was this, a, was this mm-hmm. a, a mode
0: of communication from God to you that you had experienced prior? Or was this, you know, given that you had been an atheist and then your mission, you found Christ. But, you know, I personally don't know that I can ever say I felt, you know, strong indication that God, you know, there are things I felt good about, but to be able to say, God told me to do this. You know, you're using some pretty affirmative language. And so was this sort of a unique Mm -hmm. spiritual experience in your life where God made something clear to you in a way he never had before and maybe hasn't since? Or was this sort of a pattern that had developed once you found Christ, so to speak, God started, you felt like God was
2: communicating to you more clearly? Look, it it isn't by any means an everyday sort of thing but I can count, you know, this is going to sound like a lot, I can count five different instances where I I would say that there was definitely something like that. Um, The first would be the time when when I was converted, which was, you know, for me, a pretty subjectively impressive thing. A second, there was was a time during my mission when I was um, dying from a mosquito fever, and I'd called the mission doctor, and um, he sort of told me to take Tylenol and call them in the morning, um, but I was actually losing sensation in my legs and arms. It turned out that my fever was, was something like 108, 109, and it had been for several days. I was totally dehydrated, and my body was starting to sort of shut down. And I was thinking back to a blessing I got during my mission that said that as long as I did what I was supposed to and was obedient, I would I would be okay during my mission. And I'm thinking about that to sort of try to stay calm as all this happens to me physically. And there, there was, you know, an actual, you know, so people are going to hear this and say, oh, yeah, he had a fever, so whatever. But for me, it was really very real that there was, there was actually a voice in my head that said to me, yes, you will be safe if you do what you're told. And I'm telling you to get to the doctor right now or you're going to die. Um, and so I did. And, you know, it turned out that it was true. If I'd waited until morning, I, I might well have not been okay. Hmm. Um, and so so there, there there have been a couple of these things in my life. Um, you know, the idea that it, yeah, okay, not every decision, not every even important decision by far, but a couple, you know, a couple of times when it really mattered. And, and this thing with with marrying serenity was one of them.
1: I don't think he ever said to me from the day that I told him I was sending my exit letter in, which I did do, to the day I walked up to him and announced, by the way, I have to be baptized and then we're going to be sealed. (laughs) I, I, I don't think he ever said to me in the, I don't know, four years between those two days anything, anything coercive or even suggesting that it was more than a little bit important to him that I go back to the church. Right. You know, he always told me I was welcome to go with him, but that was all. And I don't think I would have gone back or even married him if he'd done it differently.
0: So RT, was this was this you knowing that she would eventually come back or you saying I'm leaving it in God's hands and I'm open to whatever the results are?
2: Yeah, definitely definitely the second one. I I you know, I had no idea what what y- uh, Serenity is a person with her own, you know, ability to make choices and and goodness. That I I, I know that it's hard to get her to do things she doesn't want to do. <laughs> if anybody on earth knows that, I do. Right. So I I I, I felt <laughs> confident that um that you know I wasn't going to be. I- it seemed like a good thing to do to marry her. I love her, and I was happy with her, and and at the end of the day, that, that was just that, you know, if it was a good thing to do, it was going to be a good thing to do. And, you know, I'm, I don't know everything. I don't know the the end from the beginning. And so I was just going to take it on faith.
0: Excellent. So, so what were your, your, you know, first years like as being sort of a, a mixed faith couple? I'll leave it to either one of you to (laughs) say.
1: They were a little bit tricky. Uh, I, when we moved to the bay area i found myself living about a block away from a very small episcopal church and i it was appealing it was this run down dingy little building that needed paint badly and it was basically just a sanctuary just you know just a a chapel with nothing else and a little house nearby that they used to have parties in and they would ring the bells every Sunday morning, and, you know, Jay was usually at church anyway, so there was nothing for me to do, so I began going over and walking into this church. And eventually I began attending pretty regularly, and after a while, the woman who ran the church, she was the, she was the you know, the vicar basically, she, she came up to me and said, you know, I've seen you here, would you like to be a member of the church? And she hooked me up with some catechism lessons. And I still had some pretty big issues <laughs> um, with the whole God thing, but I liked going to this church. It was pretty, and it was peaceful, and there were a bunch of happy kids playing in the front during the service. And they let me take communion, even though I wasn't a church member. And so I said, sure. And I I took these catechism classes, and one of the things she had me do was to read this book called, I think it's called The Truth About Love by a man named Bill Countryman. And it explained in very simple terms, um, basically the idea about Jesus that I managed not to get somehow in 22 years of, of being Mormon. I, I don't know if I was just stiff-necked or what it was, <laughs> but but you know but it just got everything across to me and um, y- you know so this was a process that took about four years and. Jay knew that I was going to this church, and very occasionally he would go with me, and sometimes I'd go to his ward with him. But And we tried not to fight about religion, but I don't think he was really comfortable with my being an Episcopalian until I was confirmed, because, you know, when I went and did the confirmation, it began to mean a whole lot to me. I don't know. RT, how did you feel about it when I got involved at that parish?
2: Oh, um... You know, I it was it was a little bit it was it was a complicated thing, right? No, I was m- the first and foremost thing was that I was just really glad that, that that you'd found a way to 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 be happy with God, you know? I mean, that was that was the really important thing. But there were other things. I mean, uh, the, the silliest thing in the world, I had this idea that you know, lots of us have <laughs> in in the the Latter-day Saint tradition that um that that having a minister who's paid for work is just a really bad thing. <laughs> and so, so the woman who ran this parish, um, she she got paid, you know, like about $25,000 a year for for Maybe. her work there. And I just felt very, very worried about that, that this was, you know, <laughs> really corrupting or, or bad. Um, because, you know, she was getting this money for teaching about Jesus and it took me a little while to realize that actually it was barely any money <laughs> and she had <laughs> to have a whole other job to be able to even just live and she was putting in all this time and so i mean come on why what what's the big deal why should i why should i be so worried about this you know and so I, I, it was actually i guess it was a really good thing in a lot of ways it made me um broaden my horizons still couldn't get past the english thing though
1: <laughs> yeah, R.T. Is, is Irish-American. His whole family on both sides comes comes from Ireland, and he was not happy with me about that. <laughs> it made him feel very nationalist, I think, yes. actually, when I began going to, into the Anglican Union. <laughs> sure. Yeah, but we, you know, we tried not to fight about it, and mm. we didn't really fight very often. And as I said, we Occasionally went to each other's churches, and neither of us was particularly comfortable doing that, but, but we tried. Mm-hmm. And we didn't talk about religion at all. Mm-hmm. Even when I was confirmed, we didn't talk about religion, we didn't talk about God. It was just something that we did not talk about.
2: Hmm. Yeah. But, you know, as I said, it, it was it was really... It just felt to me like it felt to me like Serenity was in a better place than she'd been and I and really that was made me really happy and I think I think yeah and I think I think it made it easier between the two of us than 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 when you'd had a harder time you know with religion.
1: Well, you know I, I haven't really talked about my actual conversion yet, but when that happened Tell us about that. You know <laughs> Well, what actually happened was that my, um, my rector had given me this book to read by Bill Countryman, and it was a very simple book, and all it said was over and, over and over and over that no matter what you believe or no matter what you've been told, no matter what you think, God loves you. God really, really loves you and God forgives you of your sins. Even if you don't accept that and you keep on sinning, you know, then you're not going to be in a place where you can where you can get the good things out of that. But God loves you and God forgives you of your sins. And even if you don't understand what your sins are, if you feel like you've lived a really good life, you know, God forgives you of your sins. And it talked about why, it talked about what Jesus did. <laughs> and I began thinking a lot about this as I took this catechism course, and it just began brewing in the back of my mind. I, I still had all the feelings I'd had before, all of the anger and all of the fear and all of the pain. And I, you know, even with roasted tomatoes, even with our marriage, I was still very, very unhappy, um, just because I was an unhappy person. Things were bad for me. They had always been bad. I don't think I understood that at the time. I thought it was just the way life was, but I found the Evangelical Christian TV channel, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I used to watch it because they played all of these horrifying apocalypse movies right. about how this—you know—the Rapture was going to happen. I, I don't know if what you know about evangelical beliefs, but the Rapture was going to happen, and mm. everyone who didn't agree oh, with that was going to be left here to die horribly. Right. yeah and sure. they used to play these, especially the from the 70s movies just relished the bad things that would happen to all of us. I used to watch these late at night because I think it confirmed to me how hateful people were religious people mm-hmm. you know at some basic level, even though I was trying to be a religious person in my own way, and even though I loved my husband and knew he wasn 't hateful and I, one night i um, I watched one of these movies, and i don 't know what happened. I just cracked it was just too much it was there was too much hatred in it and Life was too hard, and we had begun traveling to South America with some frequency for roasted tomatoes research, and I'd seen what life is like in the third world, and I'd seen what real poverty is like, and I'd seen what people with giant tumors eating up their faces look like, and I'd seen what starvation looked like, and I grew up in Utah, I'd never seen those things, and I was beginning to understand what a dark and ugly place the world, you know, can be. Or, you know, at least without God, <laughs> you know. And, I don't know, I just cracked that night. I, I felt so sick. And I couldn't do anything. Roasted Tomatoes was already in bed, so I just went and I got in bed. And I lay there in the dark, and he was asleep. And I couldn't handle it anymore. I just, I guess I had some kind of existential crisis. I don't know. But the despair that I think had always been with me, like every moment of my life, <laughs> as far back as I could remember, surfaced and I couldn't handle it and I couldn't handle the pain that I felt and I couldn't handle the anger that I felt and I couldn't handle the fear I felt about God and suddenly my only choice was just to give it all up I mean I could keep I could keep on holding on to all of this stuff and you know suffer forever basically (laughs) or I could reject it all just throw it all away just drop it entirely and it was a scary, scary thing because the only way I knew to do that was what I'd you know, been reading about as I read the New Testament for my catechism class and what some friends of mine who hadn't even been Mormon, but at least they'd known what planet they were on as far as God was involved, had told me when I was in college, you know, you have to you have to have faith in Christ, and if you have faith in Christ, then that's the starting point and everything's gonna be okay and and I I just I didn't have I realized that I wasn't basically worth, worth anything the way I was. Not because human beings aren't worth anything, but because I couldn't do anything. I, I was useless to myself and everyone else, and I was unhappy. And suddenly I, I just knew that I had this choice. I could accept God and God's love. I could accept it in the form of Christ's atonement you know, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his payment for my sins. And I could give myself over completely and totally to his will, to God's will, I mean, <laughs> and and to Christ's, you know, Christ's sacrifice and their love. Or I could be like I was forever. You know, I had to do one or the other. I couldn't not do one and get anywhere. And I was really frightened because I think at some point, Level in the back of my mind, I'd always felt like really, you know, really, really giving myself up to, up to God, really giving away my sins the way, you know, the way that guy in the Book of Mormon says, you know, I, I would give up all my sins to know Thee. Mm-hmm. I think I felt like doing that would lead to some kind of disillusion of my personality. I would stop being me because those things were me. I, I felt like those things were me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I felt like the pain that I just felt like it was all me, and. I suddenly realized, as I lay there in bed, that I would rather cease to exist than go on the way I was, mm-hmm. because I wasn't a bad person. You know, I, I I didn't I didn't go out and do anything that I thought of as bad. I, I tried to be good and loving and kind, but you know, it just didn't, it wasn't working. And so I just I just decided to, to to give it all up. I didn't want any of it anymore. I didn't want a single bit of it. I I. I I just turned over and I thought, okay, it's yours, I'll do whatever you want. You know, just tell me. Mm-hmm. And, and it fixed everything. You know, suddenly, it, it's not like the bad things in my life went away. It's not like, it's not like um, my, you know, all the pain I never felt went away. It's not like I no longer felt guilt. It's not like it's not like I no longer sin. I, it's not like I, I no longer worry about my relationship with God, but I just suddenly knew that that was the right thing to do, that, that God did love me, God does live, that Jesus did live and did die, and he does live, and he did fix everything. And I, I don't think I've ever doubted it since then. And, and that just changed everything for me. And I didn't tell Jay about it for a couple of years because I, I didn't know if he would understand.
0: For a couple of because years?
1: I, yeah. <laughs> a couple of years. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, I, I had this experience, I had this, you know, spiritual rebirth that I'd only ever heard described by, by evangelical Christians and a few people at my church. Because the people in the church I grew up with didn't talk about that kind of thing. Wow. and. I, I don't know, I think Mormons, I think it isn't that uncommon, but I think people think it's too private to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I know Jay wasn't going to talk to me about his experience, because I wasn't very receptive for a long time, really? <laughs> um, but yeah, it changed everything, you know.